0: I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. It is the music of Joaquin Cooter, who is my guest today on the program. Let me tell you a little bit about Joaquim Cooter. Joakim Cooter was born in Santa Monica at the dawn of the 70s. His dad is one of those guys whose work pals were always hanging around the house. And one day, after hanging around, they, I don't know, went somewhere else. But they left their stuff behind. And some of that stuff included a drum kit, which... Joachim Cooter climbed behind and felt immediately at home. Now, I should tell you, Joachim's father is Rye Cooter, and that drum kit belonged to Jim Keltner. Not a bad way to get a start. As a matter of fact, it was Jim Keltner who gave Joachim his first drum kit. But I'll let Joachim tell you that story. The young percussionist was around music his entire life, literally from birth. So it's no surprise that he went on to play with his father at a really young age, and in 1993, he played on the Grammy Award-winning record that his dad put out called A Meeting by the River. He also played on a little album in 1997 called the Buena Vista Social Club. An in-demand drummer, Joaquin went on to play live with the likes of Mavis Staples and Dr. John, and in the early 2000s, he started to branch out on his own, first writing songs for indie films like Lars and The Real Girl and My Blueberry Nights, to eventually writing the entire scores for movies like Riding Giants and The End of Violence. In 2012, Joaquin put out his first solo album called Love on a Real Train, which featured collaborations with Petra Hayden, Inara George, and Matt Costa. Joaquin's new EP, Fuchsia Machu Picchu, is a special record. And here's why. It's the first one that actually features him, front and center, singing for the very first time. Now, this EP is seven songs. It's lush. It's dreamy. It's magical. It's got these rhythms to it that are absolutely intoxicating. From the hypnotic number Because the Moonlight to the absolutely mesmerizing track Everyone Sleeps in the Light, Fuchsia Machu Picchu is one stirring collection. And... It's also a family affair. Joachim's wife, the musician Juliette Commagere, and his brother-in-law Robert Francis, along with his father Ray Cooter, also play on the album. Talking to Joachim Cooter was a really cool experience. You know, I've interviewed a lot of people who have had fathers and mothers who've been in the business. Uh, everyone from Louise Gothen to Inara George to Petra Hayden. And in many ways, that parental presence though it's not present, it kind of looms large. It's always there. It's sort of like this kind of, uh, I don't know, like a third person is in the room even though they're not in the room at all. And it's kind of, you know, look, these people have music in their DNA. They were raised by very special, talented, amazing parents. But they're musicians in their own right. Their identity is theirs. And so I kind of like for the parental element of these kinds of conversations to come up on their own. And it's really cool because Joaquin Cooter has a very healthy relationship with his dad. He's been playing with him his whole life. And there's none of that father-son, angsty, kind of resistant, rebellious uh, element. It's not there. Their relationship is truly collaborative and it's really cool to hear how he talks about him but speaking of fathers Joaquin is a father he has two children now as a matter of fact he had to cancel our original interview because his wife went into labor then a week later we rescheduled and uh, Joaquin chatted with me the new father of an infant son so he has a daughter and a son Congratulations to Joaquim By the way, this was a really cool conversation. I really like him. He's a great guy, and uh, the uh, the chat went all over the place, which I love. I love when it does that. It's focused, but it's also discursive, and a total blast. So enjoy this conversation with me and Joakim Cooter right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. <laughs> I was talking to Louise Goffin a couple of weeks ago and she was telling me about how voices can be percussive. And I wonder if when you hear your babies crying or your you know, kids talking, do you hear them in a, in a percussive way?
1: Um, that's interesting. I the first thing that comes to mind is when we first had our daughter, uh, I heard her voice everywhere. Like, I thought I was hearing her crying, just like, every, especially because my wife and I are swimmers. And when we, when you swim, every time I was under the water, I just, I just thought I heard her crying. <laughs> so it's like it becomes, maybe it's, it's like whatever you kind of, it kind of takes on whatever you, for me it was like it was everywhere which was a crazy thing. So I don't know. Percussive? I guess, though. I'm sure there's a melody to all, if you, you know, if you hear something, it gets stuck in your head. So, yeah, I I hadn't really thought of it like that.
0: Yeah, she was talking about how how Bob Dylan's voice uh is like a percussive instrument, which I had never thought about before. And I went back and listened and I was like, "God, she's right." Um I always think of, you know, like percussive things being things that you bang on. Um but actually sound, all sound is percussive, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um I mean, I do get I will say that my daughter has been like a very integral part of my musical creative process. So I'm sure there's, you know, it's probably seeped in whether it's the percussive, like the sound of her voice or that, that's mostly it's the things she says for me. But, um, yeah, there's, I, I get, a, I get a lot of stuff from her for sure.
0: What changed for you when you became a father, what changed in your creative process and did you see it coming? <clears throat>
1: I would say everything changed because before, before I had a daughter, for before, before she was born, um, I never, I never even saw myself as a songwriter, as a as a singer. I never, I would sing harmony when I was in a band, but I was just, a, I was mostly a drummer, a behind the scenes kind of guy, uh, producer. I did, you know, I do film score, but I never. The singing I did was for myself, almost kind of as a joke. Just, or I just didn't take it. I just didn't think it was something that I would ever do for other people. And I think when my wife got pregnant, something changed, and I, I guess I, I somehow saw myself differently. I wasn't. I was no longer like the, the center of all of my. Attention. Where I think, well, I'm this and I'm that, and I don't fit in here, and I must not do this because I'm used to doing that. And then there's a combination of her being pregnant and then us being in Nashville for a while, and everything was just so radically different. That's that's when this whole project started, and I started singing, and I said, I'm I'm gonna do this now. So before her coming, I never, I I still probably wouldn't have ever, it never would have come to me it never would have occurred to me to even try something different. I think that's also an LA thing for me because Los Angeles is like a a place where time means nothing, like there's no seasons marking the passage of time it's too hard to get anywhere because of the traffic so you kind of just, I, I think I was sort of shut down creatively um because all of a sudden all of a sudden oh five years just went by and i've done almost nothing so that i think having her even just her being pregnant not even by the time she arrived then everything just like went wild with my creativity but even just her coming was was huge and not being in los angeles those two things together was the, the, the like perfect storm for me.
0: I'm from San Francisco, so I can relate to the idea of there not being any seasons because, you know, like in January we didn't even see a cloud here. It was just like, yeah, <laughs> I just, ridiculous. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's healthy not to have seasons in your life.
1: No, are you still there?
0: I am still here, and, and there are moments of time where I, where I think back and I go, I don't remember from, like, 35 to 39. You and I are around the same age. I'm a little bit older than you. Um, I was born in the early 70s. I think you were, you were like, mid-70s. But, I, you know, there's, like, in my late 30s, I don't remember anything. And I think it was because the weather was totally. so much the same. I don't think that's a healthy thing.
1: No, I know. I I can't believe... There was a, there's, I think I have the same thing there was definitely five years where I swear I did nothing I'm sure I probably did something but not I mean I really squandered some time and I know that's that's just a combination of being here and not being inspired by my surroundings and sort of just becoming complacent and sort of I don't know I don't have any of that anymore, though. I'm. It is what little free time there is. It all, it all goes into. I mean, we we have no TV. I used to watch. I feel like I used to just watch Netflix all day, and now there's, <laughs> there's none of that. There's no. <laughs> it's like, I will. I would rather. I would just. If I would have like waste an hour on watching TV at this point, I would never forgive myself.
0: I know. But, I can relate to that. I I know exactly what you mean. It's also like, you know, because we're of a certain age now, you also feel like, you know, time is, you're aware of it being more finite than maybe you did when you were 33.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you just don't think about those things at all when you're younger. And, but, you know, by the same token, I don't, I'm happy that I had, we had our daughter. Older. I mean, in a way, I'm happy, in and in a, also I'm like, oh no, she's gonna have old parents when she's <laughs> – or they both aren't. Um, and he's gonna even have older parents. But um, it's a. But other than that, I'm, I'm happy that it came later. I feel like we did a bunch of crazy stuff when we were younger, and and then did nothing at some point. I don't know if my wife feels the same way, but. I know there is just too much TV being watched at some point. <laughs> I can
0: relate to that. I, I, I call that my twenties.
1: Um Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I
0: I wonder though if maybe like we can rationalize those sort of those years of inertia uh with you know, that's all part of the journey, right? And then the destination is fatherhood. So it almost kinda like pulls it all together in a way. Yeah.
1: Um I mean for for me, that's probably just what happened. Um, I mean, for a while there, we were in band, I was in bands and we did a lot, you know, hard touring and in, in vans and slept on people's floors. And I, I wouldn't change that for anything because those are some crazy experiences that normal people just don't have. And we got to meet people and see parts of the world that you don't normally see. But, um, it, it was all, yeah, it was all heading toward this time, for sure.
0: So you were kind of internal and for a while, and then you had a daughter, and it's almost as if your daughter made the internal or encouraged the internal to be external. It's almost like she opened you up.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I— when I was when I was in high school, I did I did theater and I was at, I did like musical theater. I was Don Quixote, <laughs> and <laughs> I couldn't even like a year out of high school. It just changed like I lost that thing, and I couldn't imagine doing singing in front, doing a play or doing a musical. I could not imagine doing it just upon graduating. Like it went that went away from my mind, and I. And I just became yeah I'm way more introverted and and I, uh, I found myself also with music by myself doing it and just being lost in my own thoughts mostly just in, you know instrumental stuff because it was for film scores and, and and things like that but when she came along it was like you you need to be on your toes and keeping these everything Everything's these stories that are told, and all of her animals and dolls have extreme inner lives and personalities and stories, and you have to keep everything alive. And she remembers everything. And if she wants you to retell a story from something that happened months ago, you got... It just made me much more... Like, I feel like I could probably do... I could be Don Quixote again. Whereas... (laughs) Just because that – I feel like she's made me, like, bring that back. Like, I can be like, all right, let's do
0: this. <laughs> so she's made you more creative.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: It's interesting. Yeah, you know, exactly. I I had the same thing. I did theater in high school as well, and after I finished college, I did some in college too, and I felt like I kind of lost that thing too. I got more introverted as well, and I couldn't imagine – I'm like, God, I was a lot braver when I was 19 yeah. that I, I am now. Okay, so what happened to us, Walking? Why did we lose that thing?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I remember... Because um, I think I was... Well, yeah, I was way... I was. I guess I was a big personality in... Not like a big personality, like a big man on campus, but just my... I was a, opener... What's the word? I just was more out there with my thing. And because we were... Theater kids are just so, you know, always being kooky, I guess. I can imagine what we mustn't seem like to other people. And um, my history teacher brought me back. She said, can you come back and read that thing you read to the class? I read some speech by somebody in, in, in my history class. I, I'd already forgotten what it was. She said, remember when you read that thing and it was so incredible and you just were so, can you read it to this class? They need to be inspired. They need to hear you read this thing. And I had no recollection. It had only been under a year. I had no idea what she was talking about. And I said, all right, Carol, I'll, I'll come back. And I, it was, I, it was such a disaster. These kids, <laughs> I was so intimidated by them. They were looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? Um, I stammered through it and it was, I, I will never forget how embarrassing that was and she I felt like she felt really bad for me and she said alright Joaquin like thanks, uh, thanks for coming in and everybody was just silent in the room and we hugged goodbye and I was like Carol I'm, I'm so sorry <laughs> and then I never saw her again no that's, that's probably not true <laughs> but <laughs> yeah I fell I, I felt I fell out of that but I'm back so I'm ready to start doing musical theater again.
0: You are back. No, and you're, 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 <laughs> I love the idea, though, that, that fatherhood can make you feel like, you know, hey, the musical theater of life, right? Like, I'm going to start singing. I'm going to start doing these things. I'm telling stories. It kind of awakens your creativity. And I think that's so cool.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I recommend it. It's <laughs> a good it will make you really have to think on your feet. Yeah. You have to open your ears and listen to what, because young kids, their brains right now, especially before school, before, well, if you keep them away from TV and you let them just let their brains go the way they're supposed to go, you, you you'll never stop hearing the most incredible things ever. But as soon as you relinquish control to the television, I mean, uh, you know, it, it begins to prune back their their creativity. I think I'm I'm a huge you know I'm a big proponent of the no TV, no screens, nothing for her because it's she's too incredible to you know, jeopardize any
0: of that. <clears throat> yeah, you you know, you see parents give a kid an iPad, you know, like a fi- give a five... Your daughter is how old now?
1: She'll be three in May.
0: Yeah. I see kids that are four or five years old here in the Bay Area, you know, their their parents want to do something, you know, Pilates or whatever, so they give them an iPad and they shut up for an hour and I don't think that's a good
1: thing. No, it's not a good thing. I mean, you you... I see them it makes me insane when I see when I'm at a restaurant or we're at a restaurant and there's a one a couple and just one kid they just put an iPad in front of them I mean can't you just can't you guys just like talk for just a second I mean what how what's the worst that's gonna happen like I don't understand why you need to silence that I don't know that just that makes me completely insane um, I feel like I proselytize to anybody who can who will listen to me and say, Do not do it you you don't realize we have no idea what is happening to them i mean it's just these all the little pat- the devices they're all very new it it's not we just don't know what what is happening I mean we do know it's I feel like it shrinks their um perspective, if, if you're always looking down at this little screen and you're not looking up and you're not looking out and you're not seeing what's around you, something is happening to their brain that is happening it's, 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 there's like an internal thing that's happening is along with the physical aspect of always just looking down and narrowing your scope of what is coming to you so and
0: God forbid you have a conversation with your kid at dinner.
1: Yeah, you know yeah, you might be, you might learn something incredible. You just like give them a chance to tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool that your daughter's three and she already has backstories for her for her dolls.
1: Oh, it's crazy! I mean, it's <laughs> so it's so great. I mean, she she's how I get. I've gotten my best song. My best lyrics and my best ideas have come from stuff she said and stuff about her dolls. Um, they're all, yeah, they're all there. It's All right there. Now, have you always
0: self-identified as being a drummer?
1: Yeah, because that's. I started playing drums at a really, really early age. It was it came completely naturally to me. Um, I never played guitar. I still don't it makes zero sense I couldn't I've just started playing the ukulele that I can understand and I can I can play a few chords but <clears throat> drums have always been the most natural thing and I think I was probably around 5 when I started and because my dad's a guitar player I was always to just I could just play with him and you know, it wasn't like I played guitar not that great and he played guitar then we wouldn't really, that would just be not there would be nothing there, it would just be like pointless. So it just worked out and I've been doing it ever since and that just was what I did and so it wasn't until just, you know, this last year or two years that I started singing and performing and not just being a side man I still loved you know, playing drums and I do it f- for people when I'm asked or, or anything like that but I play drums on my own the songs for the record but yeah, mm-hmm. so I have, yes, to, to answer your question, yes, I've always identified as a drummer.
0: It never, when you got behind the kit as a kid, that just felt natural to you?
1: Yes, it was, there was a um the drummer who's Jim Keltner who was always played with my dad who's, you know, like, the, one of the most revered session drummers was they were rehearsing in our living room at the time for either a record it was, it must have been, it was like eight, 1982 so I was probably, could have even been four then if I was born in 78 but he left the kit and it would be there overnight and I would go down in the night and play it and I think I was always fascinated by him because he would have these big, or at least at the time since I was so little, these just huge drum kits with all this, you know, hardware and things hanging around and taped. There's all these like colored tape always on his stuff, and he's, you know, marked off positions of where. Just everything was just so huge, and there's so many things. And uh, so I was always, I would always. Kind of like crawl into his kit, and he would see me there. I think I would sometimes startle him because he'd be having his eyes closed, and then he would look down, and I would be like under, under the floor top or something. <laughs> and then he, when he came, when during that during that time, he saw that I was playing, and then he gave me my first kit because he saw that I could play. And then that was that. I love the idea that that it
0: felt natural. I always feel like um, sometimes when you 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 know maybe you pick up an instrument or you try a sport, and there's that sort of talking heads line where it's like you may ask yourself, "How do I work this?" You know, and then other times it just completely works. And I think that um, you know, there's that even though something can feel natural, and you go, "Oh, I I got to weigh in on this," even though I know I have to do work on it, it feels very natural to me. It's it's cool to hear you say that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, it was, it was very natural and I didn't, I think maybe around starting in high school, I started to want to take lessons and, and get more, some more chops, you know, like I wanted to, there's more to learn that, that wasn't there to begin with, but that was, you know, that's when, that was in my teenage years, so I'd already been doing it for however long that was, um, and that and that was great too because then you could do more that you're thinking of you can apply it you can get your hands to match up with your because I don't think I wasn't like a jazz prodigy the guys who just can do this the craziest stuff ever out of the gate
0: when you were starting who did you uh, who did you like who was kind of blowing your mind when you were a kid
1: well it started with Keltner he clearly was the whole impetus for everything, <clears throat> and then I love, I love like uh, Zigaboo Modeliste, the drummer of the Meters. I love that kind of drumming. Um, Clyde Stubblefield, the, who played with obviously James Brown, um, that kind of. But I gravitated towards that. I never was like. Rock drumming, I don't think of. I think of as a completely other thing. Like it's not even. I don't know. There's. I don't. I love like the soul and the light touch of the the funky guys. Um, and I I'm I'm also a giant reggae fan, so I love Sly and Robbie. Ah. So um, Sly Dunbar, I, I just all those records that they made. I just their drums and bass to me is one of them. It's like, you can, can't can get much better than that. Um, so, yeah, I, Those that was the kind of stuff that I grew up listening to nonstop. Um, I loved, you know, the band, so Leave On Helm, that was, he was, when I was a little older, I got very much into the band. But, yeah, I wasn't, I feel like other drummers had knew about all these drummers. Like they know about oh yeah, that's the thing that that drummer does. I never really was like that. I never kind of kept track of anything. I just had the few little things I liked.
0: I always wondered, you know, if um, as a musician, not just a drummer, but are you always chasing something? And do you, when you have it in your grasp, do you feel that you, you know you get it for a time period, and then it kind of slips away, and you're chasing it again?
1: Um, I would say yes with songwriting because it's... That's such an, like, ambiguous thing. Um, with drumming, no. That's sort of like... You 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 look for things that excite you so you end up just buying a bunch of stuff. Um, you yeah, know, I'm going to... Get a new. I'm gonna get some old, you know, 1920s bass drum, and that's gonna be this thing I play for a while. Or you know, you're constantly. Musicians are constantly on the lookout for new things to kind of get you excited. But chasing, I would say the. It's more been with the writing of these songs. I there was that makes me think of a story. uh, A few years back, I got to tour with Nick Lowe yeah and he he's first of all he's the coolest man there ever was but second of all he always talks about the songs that he writes he refers the ones how do you say it the ones that come just from the air that he feels like he pulls them down fully formed are the ones he ref- he calls it the bloke like the bloke visited him and he just took the song down from the bloke. Whereas the, all the other ones are basically him trying to copy all of his other songs are him trying to copy those songs ah. that came down from the bloke, like perfectly, perfectly done. Boom. Like he worked, he didn't work hard. Was, nothing was, there was no, you know, nothing went into it. Like they were just there. And that I find so true. Cause I know, when i when I listen back to the songs from this record I put out, I can't remember how I did them. I remember i I see my little notes that I've scribbled like on envelopes and things laying around my bedroom, but I don't have the memory of constructing them and so then I think then I'm like, well, I gotta do it some more I gotta do it again, and I know well I'm just this is not the bloke like I'm just i'm I'm, like, forcing it, and then I just immediately give up. Just, like, forget it. It's not coming. And um, so that that's chasing for sure. No joke.
0: And that's why it's interesting. You know, I'm a writer, and I, I know people who write every day. Like, you know, like bricklaying, like literally going to work every day, oh. you know? And I yep. can't do yep. that. I've never been able to do that because I – the times where I've been visited by the bloke, it's almost like you go unconscious. Like you can't – like you were saying, you can't even remember that happening. Um, but oh. the, the times that you kind of like – you know, you, you, you put the hours in and nothing really great comes from that. So I wonder in terms of your discipline, what do you do? Like do you, do you wait until you feel moved to write or to create or do you try – do you have to also go through the bricklaying process as well?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I, it's like these frames of mind you find yourself in. Um, I've sat down. I have my little rig with my instruments, and I'll sit down and I'll instantly know there's no, there's nothing gonna come of this, and then I just leave. Um, <laughs> I know that feeling. I, I know like the 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 guys who do it every day, like like the Nashville guys who you know they go into these little rooms their publisher has a, you know, so-and-so is signed to so-and-so publishing, and they go into these rooms, and they just work. It's incredible. I can't imagine I wouldn't, there's no way I could be a part of that world. I I, I think it blows my mind that people can do that, and they're, they have a certain, they probably look at it in a very certain way, um, and songwriters I love, you know John Hyatt. He, I've always, you know, loved his songs, and he is one of those guys who goes to work and writes his songs, and he's just it, every day. Um, maybe I'll, maybe I can get to that that point at some. I can get to that at some point. I don't know. I doubt it, because my thing is so out there where it comes from. It's all. so stimulated by my environment um, and and kind of like my daughter or the plants around me just very strange things it's not you know it's not like your normal rock and I don't know it's just a different it, they all come from a funny place so and I don't know exactly where it is so I can't I can't force I can't bang my way back into that place like it's got
0: to just happen i listen to the machu picchu ep and i go well you know this is not done by an artistic bureaucrat you know this is not right like you can't you can't just go to the office every day like those nashville cats and just and bang it out the machu picchu thing feels very um ethereal and feels very kind of cosmic i guess is the only way i can put it i love it so much Um, oh, thank you. I love it, that. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. It's I love it. And, and and so I wonder for you, that process, I like the idea that uh, you couldn't just do it because it needed to get done.
1: Oh, yeah. No. Because I, I, I remember – because I can't – I also am not – music today, people – I don't have the chops technically to – do a lot of manipulation sound-wise there's like YouTube tutorials of how to get certain sounds I feel like the way the music what am I trying to get at I'm not able to go in and 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 crank things out and therefore when it comes it it comes in this very um, sideways way that it comes to me and they they come and then they don't come for a long time and you just yeah it's it's a crazy process and i don't i would love to be able to access it more but i also hate the feeling of working hard and not getting there like it just makes me crazy so i just instantly stop
0: well it's interesting because, you know, as a writer, there are times where, you know, you can see your word count on the computer where it'll say like 40,000 words and you go, and I hate all of them. Uh, and you, oh, yeah, you know, exactly. and you, you got to throw them away. Like you, you may not even, I mean, I've written hundreds of thousands of words that I've never and will never use. Um, but so it's kind of interesting to know that you do have to kind of slug through those, uh, those bureaucratic type moments, but I feel like that in some ways is necessary so that when the bloke does visit you can distinguish.
1: Absolutely. I have the I mean the greatest thing the only thing I will say about iPhones is the only thing I think it's good for for me is the little notes or however you can record the little voice voice recordings. Oh yeah. Because that that has been I'll I have these These tank drums, these um, propane tanks that this guy in Colorado makes, he he saws them in half and welds them together, and then cuts out these tongues. And they have these—you play it. They're like these magical, strange-sounding. They're like uh, the—they're like those hand pans or tank or, or or hang drums, but they're that you see people playing on YouTube. But it's kind of like. I don't know, it, 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 we keep it, I keep it in the house, and it was when my daughter was really young, we had this little pen, this, this big thing that we, she would stay in, and I would sit in there with her, and we're just playing, and then I'm tapping on it, and then I hear, I'm like, oh, and so I just press recording, and she's talking, and I just start singing this one song, and like, this is how I'll do this song, and it's just in that, and then I stop it, completely forgotten about it, because it just goes out of your brain it's gone but then days later i'm just listening to it. i'm like oh that thing i came up with i would have completely forgotten about it and then that that's that showed me the way to do one of the songs so that 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 saved my life because i can't keep anything in my head so the fact that i have all these voice recordings is these little tiny things she's carrying on in the background and <laughs> but but that that's really been that's the that's like the only good thing about for me these all
0: this stuff you know you're you're a dad you've got two kids and a wife and i wonder what it's like now for a musician to make a living in such a heightened digital age that we have um does that worry you do you are there ways to do it that are totally new do you think about that kind of thing do i sound like a guidance counselor (laughs)
1: No, you're right to ask the question. In fact, I should be be way more worried um, because that's something that... That's something that I just feel like in music you're just not prepared for. I feel like you should have... There should have been more emphasis on realizing that you're going to need to make money (laughs) at an earlier age um, because yeah it's insane. There's no you know all the all our friends who are musicians, even the ones who are you know pretty successful, still are not making that good money it's It's really quite um, worrisome. The ideal thing would I do these film scores every now and then, but I don't do them enough to like i don't I'm not good at parlaying one really good job into another one you know i'm not I feel like there's some people who are good at i guess marketing themselves that's a really that's something that I always think about you know from my wife and I have the same thing. we never thought about our ourselves as like a brand, and I feel we also were you know when we were younger, there was no social media or any of that stuff, which obviously. People are really good at monetizing through that, although it just feels so bad. All that is just, I mean, I'm, I give it, a, I, I post about things, but I, I'm not, I can't, there's only there's a limit to how much I can do and still feel, you know, it, it starts to feel a little unsavory at a certain point. So I kind of keep it at half, half masked, <laughs> my social media output. <laughs> but um, I guess, yeah I I don't get you know I don't get enough I don't do enough uh, session work to make it be like well I do my session work um, I don't do enough film score ideally I would be doing a little more of everything else and I'd be making more money or you know doing something completely different um, like but I don't know what that would be either because I have no skills for a <laughs> so while I for a while I was apprenticing a chef and um because I love to cook and I had this I started this great relationship with a chef here in Los Angeles and I was apprenticing and he said, he's like, you should just stick with me, you know, and like and I thought am I going to stop doing music and become a chef? How radical would that be? (laughs) Um, But then then, you would really, I would really not make any money for a long time, and then I would never see my family, because that's just all day and all night, and you're just, but God, it was great. It was a great little era for me.
0: What I love so much about what's happening to you is that you're you're opening up so much creatively. Um, are you comfortable as a singer now? Do you feel that you, that that you're settling into that? Yeah,
1: because I just There's no way around who I am. Um, When I open my mouth and sing, it's just, it just, I didn't affect, I didn't, it's what comes naturally. So I just, I say, I'm going to go do my, I'm going to be myself. I'm not going to, it's all I can do. So um, if you, when I just think like that, it's, I'll be comfortable to do it because I have, sort of like you have no choice. And not you know not try to do anything but just what it is I do, and then see what people say,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and also, what about the the subject matter of the machu Picchu e p what What were you thinking about? what kinds of things were on your mind lyrically
1: well, um quite specifically, I can tell you that. Well, like for example, fuchsia Machu Picchu was the name of the fuchsia plant that my wife and I bought when we we bought this this house in Mount Washington, which is um, <clears throat> it's like it's northeast LA near Highland Park, where that's like the hot Highland Park is like the happening new spot, and then Mount Washington is the little hilly area above it. um It's kind of like Topanga, but on the east side, and. Um, we bought this house, and it was handmade by Klaus the He 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 did was a bass player, and he did the artwork for the Beatles record cover Revolver. Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew who that guy is, sure. He built it very much by hand. It's like a handmade Topanga house, and we didn't know that at the time, and a bunch of different things happened, we realized the whole story, but... It sits on a double lot and it's really it's a dry hot smoggy just it's la it's just just harsh landscape and this, we bought this fuchsia plant because on the tag it said fuchsia machu picchu and i thought yeah that's a great sounding plant and um <laughs> we didn't know at the time i mean you know, it was not a native. It's not a. We are very into native plants now, um, native Southern California plants, and like the sage, the sages, and the, you know, the all the all the good stuff. But at the time, we bought this Fuchsia Machu Picchu, and um, I planted it, and just started singing this. It'd be just singing Fuchsia Machu Picchu became this like weird chant funny thing that I just did for the plant and it just made me laugh it was just like a joke and then um, I guess it was it would have been, and I did that for a long time because I was just thinking I'm going to sing to this little fuchsia machu picchu plant because it needs all the help it can get and then it was when we were in Nashville when I had my little electric and then an old guitar amp I just sat down one morning and just sang it in this new way that became the way on the record not that that was definitely some bloke action because i remember i had the verse in the chorus and the whole thing just came out Uh, i don't know why i said those words just like this is the the rest of the words that i came up with because i hadn't been thinking of it earlier just there was that day so and then a bunch of the other stuff was is stuff that my daughter has said um elevated boy is about one of her dolls, um, uh, and yeah, oh, everyone sleeps in the light. That's some some more odd combinations of like stuff that I've come up with in a dream, and then things she said and memories. When I was younger, I always um, would think about when I'd stay in motels. I would always. I could never fall asleep because the headlights would keep driving by people just driving all night you know like a, a roadside motel because we used to travel a bunch and go on road trips right and I used to think like where are all these people going all night long and it used to keep me up because I would come up with these scenarios like maybe somebody is starting a, like tr- going on a trip that they're not coming back from maybe they're moving maybe somebody just commutes and has to drive for two hours every morning when it's dark or like maybe somebody's running from something somebody. maybe somebody's after somebody i would just and it would like keep me awake and so there was something about like a some kind of late night desperate call out to the universe thing <laughs> 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 it all came from a lot of stuff when i was i think maybe i think of stuff that i used to think when i was younger because i see my daughter now and things that she says it makes it it brings back things i remember thinking and it all gets muddied together and into the song
0: but what's cool is that this ep is really a collaborative process between you and your daughter
1: oh definitely yeah very much so and she she takes she she knows and she and she wants she's like sing 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 to um, she named our her brother, snack pack. Um, <laughs> <and> he you, <laughs> you know, months ago, maybe when we first told her that she was going to get a, a brother and sh- what should we name him? And she said, snack pack. <laughs> and we said, all right, snack <laughs> pack. It is. But so he's been snack pack. And now he still is snack pack. Now he's in the world. And it's going to be hard to shake that. But, um, but I say that. Oh, she wanted me to sing him some of the songs from my record. That are about her she's like sing Gaviota drive because that's one of the songs on the EP that is about when she was first born in the dark like that's one of the stories when we were down in Laguna Beach um, where my wife 's family has a house and we, we were just up you know five am all the time walking the streets and it was cold and the waves were crashing and there was nobody else around, but she wanted me to sing that song to him and she very much has like a feeling of ownership like these are her songs, too. So that, that was pretty cool.
0: What is, uh, what is Snack Pack's real name?
1: You know, he doesn't have one yet.
0: Really? We... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's still Snack Pack. He's, Listen, he's going to have a tough high school life if he goes in there as Snack Pack.
1: <laughs> I know. We, we, we need to kind of uh, get to it a little. We, we have some ideas, but it's not nothing definitive and it's just it's going to be hard shaking snapback for sure
0: <laughs> your son doesn't have any your son's been in the world now for what two weeks a week uh
1: almost a week tomorrow
0: wow wow The he's the the nameless the nameless boy yeah <laughs> <laughs> do, do you um do you ever think that that maybe you would like to raise your kids where there are seasons? Do you think about getting out of L.A.?
1: Yes, yes, we do. We think about it all the time. Um, we have, we have our, little, our little fantasies. Upstate New York has always been something. Yeah. The little towns, you know, with like an old farmhouse um, with, you know, with fireplaces in every room and that whole thing with a barn where we can all do our things. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds good. Um, Sounds really good. We love the Bay Area. I mean, that's always been. I mean, I know there's no way we could at this point afford it, but I love. um, We once looked at a house at the top of Mount Tamalpais, like right before, kind of like right before it becomes just trails. Yeah, sure. Little shack, like. I think it probably it 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 looked just perfect you would just think this is all you need but i think it was i think there was like serious structural something was going on cuz it was it was it was expensive but it was cheap enough to where you're like something must not be right here like there's got to be some so we love we love it up there obviously just i mean the more north i mean kind of anywhere would be great i i don't see us i'd like to think we're not going to always be in los angeles
0: yeah, there. Well, yeah. I know what you mean though because like like we you and I are both Cali. You were you were born in LA, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're we're both California kids and I got to say there there's something exotic about the idea of seasons and weather um that is very appealing to me. I think I'm chasing that too. I mean, I've been in the Bay Area my whole life, but the idea of living somewhere where there's actually fog or a uh, rain, uh, it just seems like a like a treat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think also probably, um, creatively you, you know, the, I feel like there's a lot of good creative people live in really cold places. Yeah. Right. And, um, I think that's something about here. It's like, it's too, it's too chill. Like everybody's kind of just floating around. Uh, I don't know how anybody does anything here. You kind of just time passes and it's, but maybe you're somewhere, you know, some cold place that's snowy or, um, like, Scandinavia. I mean, why, why do the Swedes write so many hits? Why, do they, why are they such good pop songwriters? Like, I don't know what's going on over there.
0: I know. Well, like like with Swedish bands, every indie pop band from Sweden, they all have these really sad songs about summer because summer is so fleeting over there that it's like, you know, they're just trying to squeeze out the last few sparks of it. And then it's like 10 months of absolute... Frigid uh, nothingness, right? So you have these beautiful, sad elegies to summer, where you know you and I were kind of raised in Summerland. You know where for us it's like, and the danger, like what you said, is what is so true, is that suddenly six years pass, and you're like, how old am I? (laughs) What just happened? I know. Exactly. (laughs) I think you. That's a. It's a terrifying notion, you know that you that you live that you because your atmosphere and your environment, it really does inspire the art. That you write, like I, I listen to a lot of you know bands from Manchester in the '80s, like The Smiths and The Stone mm-hmm. Roses, and you can hear Manchester in those songs. You can hear the right. environment, um, and I guess to the Beach Boys, there's there's obviously you can hear Southern California and a lot of sadness as well. But um, yeah, like right. we- weather, man, that sounds like a like an exotic notion. It does. That's, I mean, we we love
1: it because then you. you... You get all the nice things that go with it like you we look at we discovered this website called circa and it's it's also an app it's all old houses that they curate and that are for sale and they from you know from different listings all around but they you should go on this site you will go crazy it's like look look at just the houses in maine and they're all old houses that just whoever runs the site puts up there and you can you can get houses on islands that you can only get to by boat. That was like a sea captain's house from the sixteenth 1700s or something. Wow! And it is, you can't believe it. You're like, oh well, that's there. You go. <laughs> <It can laughs> Let's do good. that. Let's <laughs> do. Or, <laughs> or, you know, or like the houses in Woodstock, Vermont. We realized is definitely the place to be. It looks like, you just can't believe what these places look like. I mean, they're they're all over the East Coast because it's so much older than the
0: west coast this is so new here relatively speaking oh yeah the, i mean we you know california has barely any history when you when you really think yeah. about it um yeah. but uh yeah, it's cool and i've always admired by the way your your relationship with i have a close relationship with my dad and i've always admired your your musical language you get to speak with your dad that's a rare gift and i think that's pretty cool man oh thank you it is cool
1: it is yeah we've we've gotten to do this thing and I've never felt a need to rebel, you know, like how people go through like a rebellious thing and kind of want to get away. Like it's just been so, it's always been so rewarding and so musically, you know, the people that I've met through that he's played with or that I've been gotten to either play with or watch up close, mostly who are so many who are no longer alive. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's, it's, You know, (laughs) pre-internet, you know, the people who, you can't, some, maybe, you know, like the Ali Sarkatouris or the John Lee Hookers, or the, um, the fascinating people who are the ones who are, who really started the thing, you know, who didn't, it's not like, and then here's the people who learned from them. It's like, these are the people that then informed whole ways of doing music. Right. Exactly. And that's, yeah, and those people are gone, or are, or are, 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 are the original guys from the Buena Vista, you know, they're all long gone now. There's so these are all these sort of first people, and that's that is just you know even it's almost as like being around them, you get a sense of something more than learning something totally tangible like because i was with this person i learned to do like a crazy like paradiddle it's more like you learn you learn just you just see the way they are and how in, in very inevitably they're just graceful wonderful people and that's something you learn you just want to be around them so that that's something that's been amazing being able to do music with my dad is like the the places you go and the people you see and then you, you never know what's gonna happen. The way of thing was a complete fluke. it wasn't supposed to be those guys um, it was just uh it was gonna be these Africans were gonna come I actually don't know I don't even remember what it was that the 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 pretext for going it was like. Maybe these West Africans were gonna come, and there was gonna be a collaboration of West Africans with Cubans, and maybe like where the two musics have some sort of crossover. But then they didn't get their visas. But then we were there, and then the day we were supposed to start recording, so then they just started looking for people, and that's when these guys showed up and ended up being like the guys. Wow, that's that. Didn't know that. Yeah, it was a
0: complete fluke. How about that? There you go. Joaquim Cooter, what a nice guy. I like that guy. He's pretty cool. He named his kid Snack Pack. Well, temporarily he did, but still, that's a pretty cool name, even though it's only temporary. Although, who knows? Maybe it'll stick. Maybe uh, maybe he will always be Snack Pack, which is kind of cool. I could see that catching on. Everything you need to know about Joakim Cooter can be found on his website, Joaquin Cooter. If you're interested in Bombshell Radio, well, go to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast. It'll mean the world to us. It really will. Uh, I'm Alex Green. I will be back next week. And um, who's it going to be? Who's our guest? Do we know? I do know, but I'm not going to tell you. Not because it's a secret, but because I want to appear elusive and therefore alluring. Two things I'm definitely not. But either way, I'll be here next week in a uh, non-alluring, elusive kind of way on Stereo Embers, the podcast.